All right. If you have a Bible, you can go to Luke chapter 19. That is where we're going to be today. Are you guys doing okay? Are you awake? You don't have to lie. It got cold this week. It snowed. I get it. It it is really good to be back with you guys. Carrie and I had the incredible opportunity after a whole lot of uh, planning and saving for a very long time to make a pilgrimage to Ireland that we didn't tell too many people about until after we were there. Um, Apparently, (laughs) this is what I found out this week, apparently there was a rumor that we went there to adopt a child. (laughs) I get it. Like, our life confuses me too, but that's, that's not the case. It was not a mission trip. It was not an adoption trip. We were just vacationing, and it was, it was lots of fun. But we are in the middle of a series called Adopted, so that theme is strong. We're going to be looking at Luke 19. And if you're new with us today, welcome. We are as best we can. We're so glad you're here, but we are as best we can trying with everything that we know how to be a church that follows Jesus beyond Sundays. And we want to do that by making disciples who make disciples who make disciples and see people transformed with the love and the power of Jesus and his spirit in them. Now, I don't know how you feel and how long you've been with us, but I have to tell you this new season in this new space is really exciting for me still. It's November and we're warm. Amen. It is, it is good to be here. I'm looking forward to Christmas. Like I said, we're six Sundays away. I'm looking forward to continuing to press in to what Jesus might be saying to us as a church. It has been a crazy year, but it's been worth it. Um, I, and I'm excited to keep rolling. I wanted to let you know in December, we're going to kick off a brand new series. Many of you were mad at me because we didn't do At the Movies this summer. So we just twisted it, and we're going to do Christmas at the Movies this year. And uh, we are going to have a lot of fun with that. Now, here's the deal. I am taking votes. Um, Uh, for the movies that you think are the best Christmas movies ever, but it is a dictatorship. I get the final decision. because some of you are just wrong. And, and, and that, it's going to be a fun season. We got that. We got the Not-So-Silent Night Christmas program. And then we also have, and you guys heard this, Orphan Sunday. We've got Hope Sunday coming. Hope Sunday is our once-a-year special Sunday that we take a second offering. We challenge people to go above and beyond to say, God, what would you have me give generously? And we take an offering that goes entirely to mission. And so this year, again, that money, those sec- that second offering on December 15th, is going to go directly to impact and help launch the school in Ethiopia that we're trying to build. If you remember uh, a couple weeks ago, I think we talked, Carrie, what was the, what was the total amount needed? Uh, uh, just a little over $7,000 that we're hoping to see come in to get that school functional within the next year or so. So be praying about that. That's coming up. Okay. Are you in Luke 19? You're like, no, it's going to be on the screen. All right. As we start today, I want to frame this series for you again. And and simply put, when I started creating this series, I started thinking the theme of adoption is all over Scripture. Like those who place their trust in Christ are called the adopted sons and daughters of God, right? Paul tells us time and time again that God has chosen us. He's adopted us as his own. We, we see stories of those abandoned being reclaimed. We, we talked on Orphan Sunday about Moses and the fact that he was this child who was surrendered. He was relinquished and given up, and then he was received and adopted into another family. We, we talked about the fact that when Jesus hung on the cross, he experienced the stature of an an orphan because he said to his father, Father, why have you abandoned me? So the reality is, as I was crafting this series, I said, you know what? This is, not, this is more than an act. Adoption is more than an act. It's actually a theological foundation of who we are in Christ. And see, here's what I started to think when I prepped this series months ago. I started to think that for many of us, we, we don't, and don't miss this, we don't live to the fullest capacity of our potential for Christ, not because we fail, 
but rather because we fail to understand our identity. We don't miss what God has for us because we're sinful and we fail. We do sin. We do fail. I fail. I get it when Paul says, I'm the chief of sinner. Like, sometimes I'm like, I think I could give you a run for your money. Like, I think I I get that. I fail every day, every week. And you do too, if you're honest. We sin. We get angry when we shouldn't. We hurt the people we're called to love. We ignore the things God wants us to care about. We watch stuff we shouldn't be watching, say words we shouldn't be saying, think thoughts we shouldn't be thinking. But that's not what keeps you and I from being fully who we're called to be in Christ. It isn't your failure. It's deeper than that. It's more than your failure, more than my failure. It's actually our failure to recognize our identity as children of God that keeps us from fullness in Christ. Let me, let me give you an example of this. M- many of you maybe know folks who are struggling, battling, lost in addiction. Maybe you know a son or a daughter. You've had a son or a daughter. You were a son or a daughter who, who was lost to this battle with addiction. And we understand in many ways that's, that's brokenness, that's woundedness, that's failure. But waiting to, wanting to overcome the addiction isn't necessarily the helpful step. That's a great step, Matt Kerner could tell you, I'm sure. But wanting to overcome it may not be enough. But what happens, I believe, is if that son or daughter knew what their father, their mother, their neighbors, their friends, their grandparents, their tribe, if they knew and could conceive of the identity that they hold in the eyes of those who love them, the love they were missing out on, that might start this journey to set them free. Years ago, I heard this pastor give a message at a conference I was at with a a group of college students where we were serving. It was a huge conference, like, like 20,000 college students in one stadium. And, and this guy, who, who if I'm honest, I, I'm not a huge fan of, fan of, he gets up and he gives one of the most powerful opening lines and sermons I have ever heard. Here, here's what he said as he started his sermon to 20,000 college students. If you want to talk about a mic drop moment, this, this was it. He, he said, what seems so tragic to me is that so many people are being lost in the cause of Christ's mission because they were not taught how to deal with the guilt of sexual failure. And he goes on and he says, I want to spell out the point that it isn't the sexual failure that keeps these young people from Christ's mission. It isn't that we messed up. That's not what keeps us from Christ's mission. Instead, he said, it's the reality of the guilt. We don't know how to get over the identity that the guilt has given to us. See, as we talk about adoption, I want you to consider with me hypothetically for a moment. And for some of you, it won't be hypothetical because you lived this. This is your story. But I want you to consider what you would think of yourself if you'd been orphaned at a young age. What would that speak to you in your teens, in your 20s, your 30s, or even your 60s? How would that identity of being an orphan frame your self-perception, your awareness of belonging, your intuitive sense of who you are? See, here's what I think we could say today. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. Living with a false identity makes it really hard to see the truth. When we live with this false identity, no matter where it comes from, it makes it really hard to see the truth. And you know that's the case. See, don't we, don't we all define ourselves in certain ways, often in false ways? Some of you look in the mirror and you see failure. You see liars. You see cheaters, addicts, adulterers, the abused, the abandoned, the lonely, the lost. And when that is the primary identity that you see in the mirror, it makes it really hard to see the truth of your identity as children of Christ. And because of that, we miss out on the invitation and the destiny we've been given to live. 
I want to look at a story from Luke 19 today. See, we talked the first week in Orphan Sunday about this idea of relinquishing, of receiving, surrendering, giving up, and receiving what God has for us. Then Josh did a great job last week of talking to you about reciprocating, when we've been loved, pouring that back out. Today, I want to talk to you about another element of this. And this is a story where Jesus deals directly and very honestly with a case of false identity. It's a story of a man who lives right on the precipice of pursuing the fullness of himself while also knowing that it may cost him everything. And listen, here's the deal. I don't want to mess around today. Amen? Like, here's what I've prayed this week as I prepped this message. I prayed that it would shatter your false identities. So this is probably going to be a message some of you are going to walk out going, man, I should have skipped church and slept in. I could have gone to the later service and it would have been okay. But but I don't want to mess around today because many of us, when I look at our congregation, when I look at what holds us back from being the church that I know God has called us to be, it is directly related to our false identities. And that's where Jesus starts in this story. Look at Luke 19, verse 1. Here's what it says. Jesus entered Jericho and he was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was wealthy. Now what we get here is a man who doesn't have an identity that should have put him in close proximity with Jesus. If you were to go back and study the gospel of Luke and look back at chapter 18, about 30 verses earlier, you would see that Jesus has this conversation with a rich man. And the rich man says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, you've got to follow these commands. And he says, I've done that my whole life. He says, good, then give up everything you have, sell it, and give it to the poor. And he walks away sad, and Jesus makes this statement. He says, how difficult, nearly impossible it is for the rich to come to God. Now, 30 verses later, we find a rich man starting to encounter Jesus. This is no coincidence, by the way, if you study the scriptures. We also get a picture here of Zacchaeus' identity. How many of you studied Zacchaeus when you were in Sunday school growing up or vacation Bible school? How many of you sung the song, Zacchaeus was a wee little man? It was an Irish jig, I think, because nobody says we, right? He was a wee little man. In this passage, we get a picture of Zacchaeus' identity. See, Zacchaeus' identity, the way Zacchaeus would define himself, he had everything against him. And Zacchaeus' identity, first, it was, it was limited by his position. When he came to Jesus, Zacchaeus didn't really belong. He was a rich man. How hard it is for the rich to come to God. He was limited by his position. He was a chief tax collector. You know what that means? He was a gangster. I don't know if they had that phrase or that understanding, and he probably didn't wear a suit, but, but he was. He was someone who was in charge of multiple other tax collectors. He was a chief tax collector. And, and so think about I know you're all mad about our politics, and you think our society's bad, but it's worse back then in first century Roman world because all males, 14 and over, any 14-year-olds? Over 15-year-olds about to drive? Come on, Josh Gregory. All right, we... <laughs> They were taxed if you were 14 years or older. Females, 12 and over. I know it's unfair, sexist. It's just the deal, okay? They had to pay poll taxes. They had land taxes. There were several taxes on imports, exports, taxes on common items like salt. Farmers who tried to move goods outside their territories faced road tolls, transported goods, including slaves. They were all taxed. So the tax collectors like Zacchaeus would charge more than they should, and they would extort the money from that. That's how they got richer. Does this not sound like our country? He was limited by his position. He was also limited by his posture. He was short. I get it. I'm with him. He was limited by his people. In his position, Zacchaeus was hated. 
How do you feel about politicians today? He was hated. He was despised. And he was also limited by his past. See, he had extorted people. He had stolen money. And and we find out this is the guy who's hanging out. And when in verse 3, here's what it says. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. Let me give you the reality here. Zacchaeus' false identity. All the things that had defined him, his position, his posture, the people around him, his past All of those things were keeping him from seeing Jesus. Remember what I said to you, living with a false identity makes it hard to see the truth. See, at this point, I think Zacchaeus is stuck. He wants to see Jesus. He's curious, but maybe not convinced. Some of you are like that. Some of you know people like that. You're curious about Jesus, but nobody's convinced you yet. Somebody keeps dragging you to church. Mom, dad, keep dragging you to church. Neighbor keeps inviting you to church. Somebody you keep inviting. You're curious, but you're not convinced. And he's in a spot where he's interested but not invested, aware but not able. See, this is our reality too. Every one of us has things that stand in the way that limit us from seeing and experiencing the fullness of who God is. Maybe you hear these echoes in your head, and we could put you in this story. She wanted to see who Jesus was, but she had a history of broken relationships. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but he couldn't even keep a job. They, they wanted to see who Jesus was, but they couldn't get their junk together. In this moment, in this story, we know one thing about Zacchaeus' situation. The stature of the crowd was bigger than the desire of Zacchaeus. But that wouldn't last. Look at verse 4. So he ran ahead, and he climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. Now, I love this moment, and I love this story. This was always one of my favorite Sunday school stories, because I get Zacchaeus. I mean, I've never been rich, but I have a long career of being physically diminished in stature as compared to the rest of the world. I get it. I know what it means to be almost 40 years old and sitting at a concert or a football game and wishing the 15-year-old six-footer would get out of the way. I understand that. But I also understand what he does here. You see, short people have this advantage that you tall people don't. We're sneaky. We're wily. We can weave in and out of places. Carrie and I went to a U2 concert one time. Greatest band ever. Again, this is a dictatorship. You don't get to argue. We got selected for the inner circle. If you go to a U2 concert, random tickets are selected to go to the inner circle. And the inner circle means that you just lucked out and you get really close to the stage. Now, that's an amazing thing. We got selected. I'm standing there and I'm realizing there's giants all around me. And this is no better seat than where I would have been. And so I grabbed her hand and we start slinking our way through the crowd. Nobody can touch us because I'm little. And I end up in a spot where Bono sweats And I could see the draw. See, this is what Zacchaeus does. The tall people couldn't have climbed the sycamore tree. You ever tried to watch a seven-footer get up a tree? Don't make fun of short people. Can I tell you what Zacchaeus learns here? See, often our limitations are the best place to see Jesus' grace. When we embrace, when we engage the places in our life that we feel like limit us, hold us back, diminish us, those are the places where we encounter Jesus the most. 
What you think stands in the way might be the very thing that gives you a deeper encounter with Christ. Zacchaeus was short. He couldn't see over the crowd, but he stepped away from the limitations to find a way to see Jesus. Now, I want you to understand in this story, most Sunday school teachers, most VBS teachers, most of you who sang the song, He Was a Wee Little Man, never got past this part of the story. You stopped. Oh, look how cool Zacchaeus is. He climbed the tree. He had faith. He was a wee little man. And he got up the tree and he saw Jesus. And they didn't go on. See, the one who worked so hard to see Jesus, what they failed at teaching us was what happened next, which is what we see here. The story isn't about Zacchaeus. Rarely the people in Scripture are not who the stories are about. It's always about Jesus. And by the way, your story isn't about you either. It's about Jesus. Watch what Jesus does. Verse 5, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. Everybody say immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and he welcomed him gladly. Now watch what Jesus does. He does three things. First, Jesus came to where Zacchaeus was. See, can I tell you something? When it comes to your false identity, Jesus isn't afraid of that. He wants to actually come to where you are. He's not afraid. It would have been so easy for Jesus to approach the scene, to keep going and pretend like he didn't see Zacchaeus. But he comes to the spot. What had been impossible, Zacchaeus seeing Jesus, is now possible because the Savior showed up. The Savior made himself known. He came to where Zacchaeus was. The second thing is that Jesus came. Jesus saw Zacchaeus as he truly was. See, in spite of his false identity, Zacchaeus is seen by Jesus. He doesn't label him. He doesn't say, hey, little Zacchaeus, hey, rich Zacchaeus, hey, fraud Zacchaeus, come down out of the tree. He says, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. He saw him as he was. Can I just speak some grace to you? Jesus doesn't label you like you label you. Many of us just need to hear that. What you see in the mirror, Jesus doesn't see those labels. He sees you. He sees you for who you are. See, he came, he saw, and he spoke to Zacchaeus. He spoke into his life. Do you remember Ghostbusters when they walk out after killing Slimer? This, is, this just popped in my head. We came, we saw, we kicked some butt, right? Like Jesus came, he saw, and he spoke. And many of us, that's what we need. Jesus says, come down immediately because I must stay at your house today. Do you know what those two phrases say? Zacchaeus, stop hiding. I want to be with you. That's what he's telling him. Stop hiding in your false identity. I want to be with you. Friends, Jesus sees you. And you want the good and bad news? He sees through you. He sees beyond your false identities. He sees your false sense of success, your insecurities, your loneliness that cries out for companionship, your deep desires that you're afraid to admit. And he comes to those places. He comes to you and he wants to speak to you. And he wants you to hear the same things he said to Zacchaeus. Stop hiding in the trees. And let's go have some food together. Let's go sit down and talk. I want you to pause with me before we finish these stories. And there's two, this story, there's two questions I want you to answer. One, what's your, what's your false identity? What's your false identity? What do you see when you look in the mirror? What do you label yourself that God doesn't label you? What's the thing that you've put over your life? I'm broken, I'm poor, I'm addicted, I'm a cheater, I'm a liar, I'm lonely, I'm abandoned, I'm, I'm abused. What, what are those false identities? Maybe they relate to your position, to your posture, to your people, to your past. And then the second question is this. What is Jesus saying about your false identity here? What is he saying about your false identity? You know what I wish? I wish this story ended here. 
I wish Jesus said, come down immediately. I'm going to stay at your house today. And then Jesus put his arm around him, and they walked off. And Zacchaeus was a wee little man. And everything was good. And the story doesn't end here. It doesn't go that way. Because when we start to move out of our false identities, it's never just a simple happy ending. Because when we start to move toward truth and freedom and grace, watch this. There are always mutterers. Everybody say mutterer. Verse 7, all the people saw this and began to what? Mutter. He is gone to be the guest of a sinner, a gangster, a fraud, a tax collector. How many of you know the mutterers? How many of you are the mutterers? You know what I've learned in ministry? When Jesus starts working in people's lives, it's always going to be uncomfortable for the bystanders. When you start seeing Jesus encounter people in their lives and transform them and lead them out of brokenness and out of woundedness and out of sin and find freedom, it starts to get uncomfortable for people that are watching. And we start to go, well, how? I don't know if Jesus should do that. I don't know if we should open our doors to that person. How? Some people will struggle with it. Some will have a hard time understanding. Some won't want to let you become who you were made to be because they were more comfortable with you when you'd convinced yourself who you were in that false identity. Can anybody say amen in this church? Do we, do we ever say it, right? I heard a story one time when I was, and this may have just been a youth ministry story, but I don't know. There was a kid that accepted Christ. His friend had been working on him, praying for him, praying for him. High school friend, his buddy had been praying for him, praying for him. And he finally leads him to Christ at this camp. They're at this retreat. They, they come out of the retreat. Oh, they're so fired up. My friend accepted Christ. This is amazing. The kid's on fire for Christ. And they get home, and they're like, let's go to the movies. And they sit down in the movie theater, and they're just talking about camp. Camp was amazing. And the new Christian looks at his buddy, and he says, man, thank you so much for praying for me. I got to tell you, I think God wants me to get up and share the gospel right now with this movie theater full of people. And his friend is like, I don't think so. <laughs> I'm not sure that's what you should do. Isn't that what happens? When God starts to work in our life and starts to set us free and we start to encounter Christ, the people around us are often the barrier for us faithfully living into that. These mutterers are saying, how dare Jesus go eat with this sinner? Look at verse 8. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody, to which everybody was like, uh, you have. If I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. You know how Zacchaeus responds to the muttering? to the reminders of his past, to the remembrance of his false identity, he says, watch how God has changed my life. Watch what God does. You, you ever seen this? That look at what God will do. Look at what he'll do. He says, watch. See, when we live our true identity, when we live into the freedom that we were created for, the compassion, the mercy, and the grace that God has poured out on us, when we live into that true identity, every other voice will fade. Every other voice becomes less important. The people that fall in love understand this. You who have been a friend of someone who falls in love understands this because your friend is no longer the same because you no, matter, you no longer matter as much as you used to. They have fallen in love. They've got the butterflies, the hearts floating in the universe, and they now don't see you. They only see the love. When we fall in love with the Savior of the universe, every other voice fades around us. They become less important See, let's go back to this theme of adoption. I ask you to consider what the false identity might be coming from. 
If you were an orphan, you might feel like you'd been unwanted, undesired, like you didn't belong or you weren't good enough. And from those who've lived this story, it's easy to live in that identity for a lifetime. But even for those of you who grew up in the best of families, don't we tend to let our false identities define us? Aren't we victims of our past, carrying the shadows of our false selves into every realm of life? Aren't we the ones who have destroyed our own relationships, relationships maybe with friends, with husbands and wives, with children, extended families? Aren't we the ones who walk with the shrapnel of those wounds for years? Aren't we the ones who feel unworthy because of a lie that puts a seed in our minds and hearts that grows this forest of self-doubt? And this, listen, theologically, this is where adoption matters. In this moment, amidst the muttering, the muttering of the crowd, but also the muttering of the enemy in his own head, in this moment, Zacchaeus stands up and claims, declares, lives into a new identity. He finds what so many orphans find who truly live into adoption. See, we've talked about relinquishing. We've talked about receiving. Josh talked about reciprocating. Today, I want to talk to you about redeeming. And redemption always sparks restitution, making right serving, pouring out generously. Zacchaeus isn't interested in convincing anyone he's different. He's interested in demonstrating the power of God. He's not interested in sitting down and going, no, 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 let me explain why this makes sense. He says, just watch what God does. Notice Jesus doesn't give Zacchaeus steps. Hey, now that you've come down out of the tree, go do this Bible study for three months. Then sit in church for six years. Give as close to 10% as you can. 2% is good. Hey, just do what you can, just, and then you can follow me. Jesus just said, come down. I want to be with you. And Zacchaeus says, now watch what I do. He says, I've been seen. I've been spoken to by a Savior who came close, and now my desires have changed. He says, I see my guilt, and I'll do all that I can to repent. And it's this moment that Jesus makes a declaration over his brother, this new son of God, Zacchaeus. Look at verse 9. This is what Jesus speaks, I believe, in blessing to Zacchaeus. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. This fraud, this tax collector, this short chief of sinners that nobody likes, he has become a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. This shows us something about Jesus. It's really at the heart of this story. See, friends, we have a Savior who loves finding, adopting, choosing lost people and redeeming their stories. See, I think a lot of times we love salvation, but we don't think about redemption. We love that God saved us, but we miss that we, we're redeemed. Let's go back to that sermon as I start to wind down about the, the pastor. Right? He says it was the guilt of sexual failure that kept so many people from fulfilling their mission in Christ. I would press that further to say it's the false identity that that gives. It's the way that you define yourself as a failure, as a broken mess, as a wounded one, a limping creature who has nothing good to contribute that keeps us from the joy of living as a child of God. And if we are to combat that, if we're to find freedom and hope that truly transforms us, it will only come through the redemption that's possible by being adopted as the sons and daughters of God. When your identity is built on your own failure, there is nothing that can rescue you, can save you, can restore you besides someone greater than you coming alongside of you and saying, I seal your failure, and I still want you to be mine. I still want you to be mine. I'm adopting you, God says. We will never be free of our addictions until we realize the love of our Abba, Father. We will never recover from the guilt of sexual failure until we see ourselves as beloved. We will never walk courageously toward our calling until grace pierces the entirety of our beings. It just won't happen. 
And for you, like Zacchaeus, I think that comes in a few ways. I want to give you these very quickly, and then we're going to close. First, you've got to start putting yourself and the ones around you in a position to see Jesus. Zacchaeus could have stood there. I'm too short. I'm not going to see him. I'd like to see him, but I'm not going to see him. Zacchaeus runs ahead and climbs a tree. Parents, can I speak to you for just a second? Parents of youth, parents of children, put your kids in the position to see Jesus. Put them in a place where they're going to see Jesus. I know. They don't want to come to youth ministry. You're bored. It's busy. That's Sunday night. You got homework. Do homework Saturday morning. Get them in a place where they can see Jesus. Can I just encourage you in that? It's not guilt. I'm not putting guilt on you. I'm saying it matters that we put our kids in a position to see Jesus. Because parents, you know what we do? And I'm guilty of this. We put them in a position for everything else we value. Sports, clubs, vacations. We will do everything possible to do the other things we value. And those things are not bad. They're good. But I want my kids to see Jesus. I want to put them in a position to see Jesus. Put your marriage in a place where it can see Jesus. Put yourself in a position where you can see Jesus. If you're sneaking in here on Sunday mornings and getting an hour worth of worship and walking out feeling a little bit better, wonderful. Praise God. I'm glad you're here. But you're not going to see Jesus in that. Not to the way that he wants to encounter you. Start putting yourself in a position to see Jesus. Here's the second thing. See your limitations as the tender spot Jesus wants to touch first. Wherever your brokenness lies, I believe that's the place Jesus wants to come to you first. I know it's scary. I know it hurts. I know you, you've, you've spent lifetime, middle-aged folks, right? You've spent lifetimes putting that away, hiding that, cloaking that, disguising that. What you've been hiding, he already knows. He already knows. What you avoid, he wants to whisper to. Find that higher ground. Bring that limitation to Jesus. Here's the third thing. Your redemption is going to begin with encountering Jesus. He will come to you. He will see you. He will speak to you. That's who our Savior is. And when he does that, your redemption will spark that restitution. You're going to have a change of desire. I watch it all the time. I watch it all the time, life on life, seeing God encounter people. As we start to close, I want to tell you this story. I'm going to go ahead and Beck come and, and, and play. The first time I was ever able to go overseas, I was a junior in high school heading into my senior year, and I spent three weeks in South Africa. And we did this three-week-long mission trip, and as we were there, we went into all these schools all over the villages. I'll never forget this. Anybody familiar with Amway? So, Good ringtone. <laughs> I bet it never <laughs> happens again. <laughs> As we were traveling through these schools, about two weeks into the trip, I got so sick and just was fighting this head cold and felt like junk, just felt awful. And I'm sitting at this little desk in this little school in rural uh, South Africa, and I'm looking at this desk just wishing, God, take me home. Give me Bruce Springsteen. Let's get out of here. Born in the USA, let's go. And I'm looking at this desk, and it was much like the old wooden desks that we find in, in our country, right? It was all scratched up, all scarred up. Many of you have heard me tell this story. And there were marks and beat-ups, and, and African boys love African girls. Remember that? Johnny loves Sally, scratched on the desk, and that's what had happened there. And I'm looking at this desk, and I'm thinking, this, this is so damaged. This is not what it was made for. And maybe for the first time in my life, I heard God say this, yeah, but the carpenter could make this beautiful again. The carpenter could take this desk, and the carpenter could sand this desk down. 
And the carpenter could recraft this into something amazing. The carpenter could take all these scars off and say, no, no, this is my desk. I created this, and now I'm going to make it new again. Friends, that's redemption, and that's what adoption means. See, this series that we're in is about belonging. Adoption is about belonging. It's about believing deep in our core that God has a place for us, that the table is set, and all we must do is respond. The beauty of this Luke story is that 30 verses earlier in Luke 18, Jesus says it's nearly impossible for the rich to encounter God. But in Luke 19, he says, now watch me do the impossible. For some of us, we don't believe that about ourselves. We find it hard to trust that God can do something with the scars that we carry. We just can't see it. And to those protests, the Savior says, as he always has, looking looking at us hiding in our trees, come down immediately. I must stay with you today. And friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, that's when you will be set free. That's when our church stops being just a gathering and truly becomes a redemption movement. When we realize that we belong, and because we belong, everyone can belong. Because I can belong. Because I can belong. Everybody can belong. We find ourselves forgetting our scars and declaring, watch what Jesus has done in my life. And whatever I've done wrong, I'm going to make it right. As we close today, we're going to participate in communion. And I always pray when we do communion, I always pray this is more than an act. But I pray that it's a sacred place where we take bread and we remember a broken body of our Savior. And we dip it in the cup and we remember his shed blood. And as we pull these pieces away, that God maybe pulls the pieces away from us. And he says, this brokenness that my son endured for you was so that your brokenness could be sanded off. And the great carpenter could say, that's my child. And come back. When we're adopted, we realize we're redeemed. We belong. And so as you come to the table today... I would invite you, as we've done in the past, I would invite you to come and to take communion, and then I would invite you to turn, if you're comfortable, I hope you're comfortable, because we need to be comfortable in the church with speaking blessing to each other, to say, my brother, this is Jesus' body broken for you, David, and I love you as my brother, and that body's broken, and it can be dipped, and you can remember the sacrifice, and that we would speak those blessings to each other, even if you don't know someone, to say, you belong here. Whatever you're facing, Whatever feels like the scars, God wants to redeem it in this place. And I'm standing at this table trusting it. And because I'm trusting it in my own life, I can speak it into your life. So we have a table in the back and a table in the front. Because last time it took forever, didn't it? (laughs) So I'd invite you, as we start to sing, as you're ready, and I'll pray for us. Come to the middle. You can either go towards the back.